Guys, welcome to another super exciting episode of Soccer Talk Podcast. Uh, today, final, and we just saw a fantastic football game. Uh, we saw goals, fantastic and outrageously good ones at that. Uh, we saw penalties, uh, tactical battles, energy, excitement. Messi scored two, Mbappe scored three. This is a game that is befitting of a final, and more importantly, uh, a World Cup final. Uh, Jude. In your gazillion years of watching the game and arguably over one million football matches that you have watched, where does this particular game rank among all the games that you have seen? I would, I would um, first of all, like to welcome everybody to this podcast. Eh? Secondly, just to go dive straight into the question that you have asked, I would say that this match had two faces. The first phase was not really a very fantastic phase for me. Even though one side was fantastic, I thought Argentina were great in the first 80 minutes. They were fantastic. Um, but uh, France did not come to the party at all until they scored their first goal around the 78th to 80th minute or so, you understand. So I would say that the moment, the minutes from 78 minutes were probably the best part of football I have ever seen in any World Cup history. Yeah, and uh, I, I super agree with you. Um, I have been watching World Cup finals since 1994. In fact, coming into this match, I have I expected a very cagey affair. I remember how World Cup finals are usually are. They don't get super explosive. Uh, the one we last la- had last year was exciting, probably because we had an early goal and probably because it was an open game. Two teams that usually play attacking football. But haven't seen what Argentina had to offer in this competition. Haven't seen that pra- France themselves um, are comfortable when it gets pragmatic, like it did against Morocco. So I was thinking that this game was going to be, I mean, very cagey, very edgy. I expected, I mean, I had thought that the person who scored the first goal would win. That means I was expecting a 1-0 victory, actually. But then, uh, when the game started, like you rightly said, and I will delve into that a little uh, in a short while, Argentina came out blowing I mean, blowing very hot. And I thought, okay, after a while, France should ease into the game. Now, France were poor, but again, Argentina were very, very good. Like, right? In fact, this is about the, the first 20, 25 minutes was about the best Argentina I saw at this World Cup. And it's just befitting that they reserve it for the final. Now, getting into Argentina's performance, let's drill into how Argentina started that game. A number of times, we tend to... Uh, criticize a whole lot of managers for not changing things, for just going with status quo and seeing how the game should be, or being rigid with tactical formations. One thing Scaloni did that really stood out for me very early in the game, and it made a whole lot of difference until Di Maria came up, was taking out Paredes in that midfield and putting Angel Di Maria. It was clear that Di Maria was going to be their outlet. He was going to be their attacking focus to create pull the ball back into the midfield. And I think that worked very well, right? Yeah, you have to give credit to the manager because, you know, uh, Di Maria had had an armstring injury that has limited him, but all competition, we've always seen Di Maria on the right because most people, most of the people who have managed him think he's got a shot in him. He's very good at dribbling and cutting in. He can always fire in from the, um, cutting in from the right. But Personally, on a personal opinion, if I were in the position of a coach, I would always play Di Maria in the left because I have seen that he is most dangerous from the left. Di Maria is not a guy that will get you 22, 23 goals. So I believe he's almost dangerous. Unfortunately for France also, the guy they had at um, 
right back who is Jules Conde is not yeah. really a natural, it's not really a natural right back. And so he not really a lot of the moves by Di yeah. Maria because it was very good of Leones Scaloni to really think about putting Di Maria there, which I mean, I believe is a surprise to many, even to me, because I mean, I've always, I've now come to, you know, I've always been an advocate of Di Maria playing on the left, but I've now mm-hmm. come to right. that um, to accept the fact that managers always play him on the right. Yeah. So, but I mean, it was immense, immense today. You remember that even in the um in the Copa America final, you remember that yeah, he was the one that scored the winning goal in that final. And his his um, presence here today was was the defining moment for uh, Argentina. And you could see that the moment he went out, Argentina for a long period stopped having an outlet. It was a constant trend, and um, France did not have a solution to him until the manager decided that okay, fine, he wanted to stop his own. <laughs> he wanted to provide his own solution to Di Maria, so he removed Di Maria. So I thought that um, that was a bad move by the manager to remove Di Maria. Probably Argentina would have gone on to the maybe even the fourth. Yeah, and you see, when I was watching the game, uh, Di Maria stood out heads and shoulders above everyone, and I was like, this guy is made for the final. I mean, you remember the Real Madrid final in Lisbon? Uh, he was the man of the match. Um, yes. Copa America final, he stood up again. And the final he missed in 2014 World Cup, he was the Argentina's best player at the 2014 World Cup until he missed out on the final. And that was the final they lost. So his pack from the beginning of the game till about 60, 61st, 65th minutes, uh, Scaloni decided to remove him, which I can't explain why he decided. Probably it's fitness. Uh, but up until that point, he was head and shoulder above anybody, the best player on the field. Now, moving on from him being the best player and being um, a creative fulcrum for Argentina to France. Now, all through this competition, we have spoken about Griezmann and his role in that French team, how he has been under the radar very, very good, and how he has been the one knitting things up, creating things, distributing the passes in the final third. Antoine Griezmann was very poor today, and I felt that, again, is um, another feather to the cap of Scaloni. Because Scaloni, for me, um, analyzed. I mean, this this it felt to me was this was a manager that prepared for a game. The Shams went into the game with his regular eleven, hoping okay, whatever happens, we'll change things along the line. Scaloni went into this game prepared for this game from the onset, and you could see that he had his guys to cut off Antoine Griezmann. And with Griezmann cut off, there was no flow to the front three at all. What do you think of Griezmann's performance and how did the Deschamps handle it? To be fair, I thought um, Griezmann was unbelievably atrocious. I mean, to talk about how Scaloni set up and all, but there were quite a number of things that I, I, I really do not understand. I mean... Uh, game plan, pattern, team pattern, and all can you you can always blame a coach or hold a coach responsible for all of that or praise a coach for it. But you see, the problem I had with Antoine Griezmann was what he did with the ball whenever he was in possession. He was passes. I mean, I don't think that was due to any any of um, Scaloni's um, brilliance. Yeah, for Antoine Griezmann to be misplacing. Clear passes that you should have to like your 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 teammates. I, I I thought today he didn't have the right movements, but then I mean looking at it at the whole France team entirely. I I I mean 
pre-match, they had about three or four players that were doubts for this match. So yeah. I know that there were freak fitness issues. So movement around, I mean, the fact that there were there was no a lot of movement around also meant that even when Griezmann received the ball, the number of outlets he has he had were few. Partly credit due to Argentina and Scaloni trying to, I mean, cover cover up very quickly. But also, I thought that um, Griezmann on his own was really, really um, atrocious. And that is probably due to the fact that a number of the players were not quite fit, you know. So they were not really getting into spaces. You could see that when Fred had had the ball, particularly in the midfield, it was only Chouameni and maybe Rabiot that were really moving. The others were not really moving. So there was no much movement even when they have the ball it was difficult to pick out somebody um and uh, fortunately for argentina argentina was actually marking very well they were tackling very well they were marking their positions very well they were aggressive and they were pressing very well so the french lack intensity and um i i probably would have to the french lack intensity and i probably would have to break blame the coach for it if it was one player lacking intensity you could maybe finger the player but i think the number of players that were lacking intensity were so many within the first 50, 68 minutes. And you will think that coming into the second half, the shots would have changed something, would have inspired these players. But I mean, even coming into the second half, I didn't see anything. It was just a moment of inspiration when they got the penalty that now boosted um, France. You couldn't see precisely what they were trying to do within the first 70th minute, honestly. Okay, now that you have brought up the issue of penalty, uh, I will shift our conversation there. Uh, but before then, before we talk about the penalty, watching the game, and I think around the 15th, 16th minute, I felt that what France needed was a player like Luka Modric, uh, somebody in their middle who is able to take responsibility, who is able to hold on to the ball, let his teammates calm down, and then build up from there. Because the front three were not actually pressing. You saw the way Argentina pressed France's defence to the point that France was not comfortable and had to just boot the ball back to Argentina. The front three of France looked disjointed. Um, the middle three, Anton Griezmann has been atrocious, like you rightly said. Adrian Rabio is coming up from getting a flu. And then it felt like there was just too much for Charmeni alone to cover. You have Lionel Messi dropping in the middle. You have Alvarez dropping. De Maria on the right uh, against Kunde, like you have rightly said. So uh, I felt if France had a player that could at least hold on to the ball, put him past here, receive it back, create things, knit things up, a Xavi, a Modric kind of player, it would really have helped them. Um, well, I think this, this was the first time during the competition that I thought actually that they actually missed Karim Benzema. Because even well, though Benzema was going to say that. Yeah, even though Benzema played off, he would have dropped into the middle, he would have held up play, he would have put ball, and he would have helped them to settle down. I, w- I was going to say that because, you see, if you look at the difference today, it was very easy to spot the difference because, yeah. I mean... France had, um, Argentina had four people in the middle and then you could see that each time Lionel Messi was dropping into the middle. Each time it was always, in spite of how atrocious Griezmann was, it, I mean, you could only see that, you could always see that France were always three against five in the middle. You get, so it was always going to be difficult in that kind of situation. And then they didn't have any really skillful schemer in the midfield I mean, in the absence of um, a performance by Antoine Griezmann, I, I, I would agree with you 
I mean, if I had known, because I mean, pretty much when we were chatting, you will recall that I said, okay, I don't see any need why Benzema will be recalled, should be recalled into the yeah. team because the team had gained momentum. But if I had foreseen that Giroud was injured and was not even fully fit for this match, yeah, yeah. I thought ben, bringing in Benzema would have been a very good decision because it would have made things a lot difficult for the for the Argentinians, Benzema is a guy that can play with his back to goal. He can dribble. He can, he, 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 I mean, he can hold up play. He can create. He can play with his back to the post. So I thought presence of Benzema would have really, really been very crucial for the France today. And you see, it is not how Benzema play or just how um, a, a Luka Modric kind of player could have held on to the ball. You could also see that leadership was a Big problem for the French yeah. national team, which they, 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 yeah, in the absence of Tante, in the absence of Poba, you see that they were looking for inspiration and it was just not there. Kylian Mbappe tried to inspire the team with his movement, but you see, he was just cut off because you see, Mbappe plays up front, he couldn't influence how the ball gets to him so much. Unfortunately, the ball did not get to him in very dangerous areas like much time. But I believe that, yes, true. If this was a kind of match that I believe that the French would probably have won if Karim Benzema was was rightly was, was on the field. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it is remarkable. It is remarkable even though, yeah, I mean, even with that, I would I would kind of praise the French to be very honest because it's remarkable that they could do all of this even without Kante, without Poba, without Unkunku. They were missing so many players. Probably this is the best team we have seen in a very long time in terms of talent. They did lose today and to me they did deserve to lose because of how they played. But if you look at the number of personnel that they've been denied of, I think you will have to also give them some credit outside the first 70 minutes. Yeah, so that, that first 70 minutes, um, I think France looked very, very much like what England is usually in international competitions. So, let's just have a conversation around the penalties and both penalties. While I admit there were contacts, I feel like football is a contact game. And I think some of these penalties are becoming too cheap to be given. Now, both of the penalties, especially the one for Dembele. Dembele was very clumsy and I, 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 would, I would give it much more than not. But I just feel generally the whole of football right now, uh, such slight touches are uh, beginning to always, always be penalties. I can't, I don't know the number of penalties that we have in this competition, but you can imagine the number of games that were decise, decided by penalties, the number of penalties that were decisive. Today alone, we have three penalties. Is this a function of football being much more attacking or this is a function of our rules and the fact that uh, we're beginning to be much more edgy on stuff like this and it's killing the game, in my opinion? What do you think? Oh, well, to be very honest, I would admit that to me, it, it really pisses me off when I think about these things because these days, players go down very easily. Even fans with every slight touch want a penalty to be given. It, it pisses me off the number of easy penalties that were given in this World Cup. And without taking anything out of their performance, Argentina, for instance, has been a very, I mean, beneficiary of really yeah. very soft penalties in this particular World Cup. Yes, I, did, I do admit that Dembele was clumsy in that challenge on Di Maria, but you could see clearly that Di Maria was waiting for it. He was expecting it. And over and over, you have seen Di Maria do this. You've seen a lot of players do this. You've seen Cristiano Ronaldo even do this 
great players, average players, good players, you've seen them. Once you get a touch on a player, they just go down very easily. And it's really becoming very, very annoying. And I think FIFA has been aiding it because FIFA, maybe IFAB, maybe the people who are also making the rules about football have also been aiding it because, you know, sometimes it's really confusing what is handball these days or what is not handball. For yep. instance, look at that um, third penalty where Mbappe took the shot and he hit the hand of the player. The yep. question is, at what point do you decide that a penalty is it is it is a penalty from a de- supposed to be from a deliberate handball is it supposed to be from a an handball that is not deliberate if it is not if it's supposed to be if it is not supposed to be from a handball that is not deliberate I mean that a handball is not deliberate so some of these things are gray some of these things are gray areas that I think would require attention going 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 forward because you know a player takes a shot I mean the air you know, there, there, there's no way I'm in the air and my arms are not raised. So yep. if a Patricia's ball hits my hand, is he a penalty? Is he not? I mean, those are very debatable questions, you know. But to be very honest, I do not think that that uh, first penalty by Lionel Messi, I, I didn't think it should have been a... I didn't think it was a good call. I, I also believe that the one for um, Mbappe, the third one, was also debatable because, I mean, the players just, the player jumped. You get my point? The player jumped. And how long does he really have? How much time does he even really have to react to get his hand out of the way? Did he put his hand in the way of the ball? Did he not? I mean, I think I believe that it's becoming more and more controversial. And there's something, it's a contact sport. You are always, always going to have bodies hitting one another. I think it's important that we need to be clear about what is a penalty and what is not. Uh, funny enough, I would have given the Demaria penalty. I would not have given the Colomani one, uh, the one that led to France first goal. And well, the rules of the game has changed a lot, so I don't even know what to think of the third one. I just know that I love the days that we used to play ball at Itakwe when ball touched the hand used to be a handball. Nowadays, that everything is due to interpretation. I mean, it's just crazy. But I'd like to shift attention to Didier Deschamps making a bold move to make those substitutions in the first half. Now, these are things you don't get to see often. Uh, this is a manager that had reviewed his team. It is debatable if his substitution had worked or if it didn't work. That is discussion for another day. But then having a manager being decisive, having the guts to be able to change not one, but two players in a World Cup final, two big name players for him, who have been very good for him. And bring out two guys who are just coming up for him. Although, yes, we know they are what they can do at club football, but having that such decisive move is not what we see regularly from managers. And I think it was very refreshing to see. I'd like to know what your thoughts is about making that substitution at that time of the game and how it affected the game at the end of the day. Okay, look, I, I, I have been watching football for a very long time and I have seen a lot of moves by many different managers. To be very honest, I appreciated what he did today because he gave France fresh impetus impact immediately until after the first goal. But he gave French, France a fresh impetus and, you know, the fact that he had to move off, move out Giroud, move out Dembele and then move out um, Antoine Griezmann, who... Who are guys that you would have been expecting to make the difference in a World Cup final is a really, really bold move. And you have to credit um, Didier Deschamps for it. 
I, I, I feel the only thing lacking when he removed those players and made his placement was that there was no leadership on the field, which is why I emphasize um, the, what the presence of Karim Benzema would have done. I mean, if 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 he had been there. But those were really, really bold moves, particularly in this area where I believe that many coaches are not audacious, many coaches are not creative, many coaches don't try their own ideas. I, I feel it was a good call. But you see, the point is, was he forced to make the move? I think yes, because at that point, it was all down for them. They were absolutely atrocious. They were not doing anything. I mean, I mean, France, they were not doing anything of significance. And they were being overrun by Argentina with every move. You could see the face of the players. And it looks like with every Argentina move, they were, they were losing confidence. And they were looking at it like, okay, fine. They were resigned. But I, would, I wouldn't... Um, I wouldn't uh, miss words to praise the Colo guy. He did very well, brought in a lot of energy, particularly initially on the right, then before he won the penalty again. The same yeah. thing for Turan. I thought those were really, really bold moves and very good moves also. Those two players particularly had a very big impact, although I think, I believe that their decision-making should have been better and probably we would have been saying something different if Turan had scored that goal in the second half of the extra time, if he had had the composure, if he had yeah. had the composure to hit the target, and I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I know we had had a little conversation around the substitution earlier in the game. Um, Lenos Caloni shot himself by taking out Angel Di Maria at the 64th minute. Deschamps reacted by bringing on Kamavinga and Kingsley Coleman uh, in the 71st minutes. France switched from playing uh, with a four... Uh, they switched from a 4-2-1-3 and they went to um, a 4-2-4 with Coleman joining the three guys that were up front. And it was not surprising... Well, let me not say it was not surprising because it didn't really look like the goal was going to come. But then France also pushed up. They took their chances. They, they, so they sought out for their own luck. And they had their first goal came on in the 80th minute. At that 80th minute, did you think that France was going to come back? Did you think it was going to come back or you thought this was going to be, okay, last 10, 15 minutes of off and puff and then Argentina would see the game? Bearing in mind that Argentina defensively has been very stout and it never looked like... Actually, France didn't even have a shot on target or a shot at all until around 70-something minutes. So having considered all that, did you at any point think that France would be able to come back in this game with the little time remaining to go? I'll be very honest with you. Before the game, I've, I've always been, I've always thought, like, just like I would think against any anything that Argentina would be vulnerable to Kylian Mbappe. So I always knew that if you give, if you give Mbappe the balls and he gets the kind of space, it was always get going going to get the goals. And to be honest, going into the game, I was I was supporting. I wanted France to win. I was supporting France, obviously. I mean, but. I, I just had that feeling that France were not going to lose this match without scoring a goal. So after two goals up, the thoughts that came to my mind was that, okay, the next goal is going to determine what's going to happen in the next phase of the game. In fact, I had Mbappe mapped out to score a hat-trick in this game. I told one of my friends who is a betting guy, like, you better go and bet on Mbappe to score a hat-trick in this game, you know? So I had Mbappe mapped out to score a hat-trick in the game, you know? So when the changes were made, I believe that France could get a goal. Maybe two is a far-fetched, is far-fetched 
But I saw Argentina against um, Netherlands in this competition, and Netherlands came back. It's not like Argentina is probably even the most brilliant team in this uh, competition defensively, because each of those two those two games where they have really been put under pressure, you could see how susceptible they are to conceding. I mean, against the Netherlands as well as um, against um, France. I I thought that if they were really if they really if France really had a chance of pushing forward, they could score three goals, maybe even four, maybe even more. Um, I, I would say that, I mean, to answer the question that you ask directly, yeah. on my part, I just had that feeling that France was going to score two goals, even when Argentina was up. I wouldn't, it, would, it is not a logical thing. I don't know. Maybe it's because out of desire or out of what I wanted, but it's not any logical thing. But I just had a feeling that that final was not going to be Argentina all through for 90 minutes. I knew that following the pattern of this World Cup, there's always yeah. drama. And I was expecting some kind of drama. But I didn't expect France to score two within 90 seconds or, or so. I think they scored two in about 90 seconds. Yeah, I, was I, wasn't really expecting it. I was not expecting it to be so fast. I expected France to score maybe one and then it will now become maybe an affair of uh, a, a giddy affair towards the end. But I didn't expect it to go in so fast. But I did expect a reaction from France, particularly after the changes that were made by Didier Deschamps. Because, I mean, 10 minutes after making that chance, those changes, we started to see impact. Also, fell behind. They dropped forward. They were trying to keep yeah. the ball instead of continuing to do exactly what they were doing before. Maybe they could get the third goal. And, I mean, in the end, you saw the results. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have said a lot about Angel Di Maria not being an outlet because what Argentina did very well early part of the game was that they were very stout. They choked the midfield. The defense was very tight. They played a high line. Once they got the ball, they moved the ball quickly to the left and then they run at France. That's their second goal. Even though it came from the right, it was exciting. It was about the best team goal of this competition. So when you took out Angel Di Maria, they took out that pace. So their transition was reduced. In the same vein, uh, Kingsley Coleman coming on, um, till, um, this guy coming on for Theo Hernandez, Eduardo Camavinga, meant that when France attack, Kamavinia can join the midfield, Kuhnman can move into the attack. So that means that France also has more players in the final third for Argentina. At that point in time, the game was 2-0. I looked at it. That was how I interpreted the game. Uh, I felt, okay, right now that Argentina does not have a pace anymore, France is taking the step forward. And I thought for once that maybe if he had not started Giroud, this would have been a perfect time to bring on Giroud. But I would lie, I didn't see France coming up with two goals. Um, I thought that they would get the one goal and then they will huff and puff. There will be so many very close chances and then Argentina would see it out. And that leads me on to um, Kylian Mbappe's second goal. That goal was super sweet. I mean, excellent technique, intelligence, brilliance of movement. How good and how special is that goal? <laughs> what can we say about Mbappe? You know, he's just 23. I mean, I don't think there's anything to say about this guy anymore. He's probably the guy that will take the bat the baton from Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo going forward. That was a very brilliant, brilliant goal. And I feel um, Mbappe was not done a lot of justice in this World Cup, even though he's the top scorer. I feel if he had had a, a, a befitting midfield, maybe if Poba was here, if Kante was here, maybe Benzema was here, we would have even seen 
we would have even seen more of it because I mean, a, 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 most of the I mean, from the, between the semi-finals and now against Morocco and then Argentina, I I, I thought what the two teams that France played against did very well was to cut off as many balls as possible with um, Mbappe. You could see that <laughs> the Paul was deployed as a second uh, right back, or more or less like a second right back on that right to hang on to um, Kylian Mbappe. But still, I mean, still on still, you could still see <laughs> how how dangerous he is every time yeah. he has the ball. I mean, how much accolade can we give to this guy that will really do justice to... Um, to 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 his performance or his talent or what he has done, yeah. I mean, having having said that, having said that, I I would also like to point to something, which uh, I mean, you speaking about Giroud having to come on at that time, I would also like to react to that because you see, the French team were always a threat to Argentina every time there was a set piece or there was a corner. I thought they didn't take advantage of that a lot. If Olivier Giroud probably was around when France was leading, all the long balls would probably have gone to him. But I still think you had Varane, you had uh, Opiambucano, you had uh, Chouameni, very strong physical guys, and they are always a threat. I, I don't think France did a lot, I mean, in terms of utilizing their set piece. When it comes to yeah. in, in Argentina's um, final, fi, final tour, Mbappe is not as physical, I mean, when it comes to like challenging for headers and all of that, you know. So after Giroud went out, I mean, they are, I, 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 I still expected that France would have been able to make uh, a lot of their set pieces, particularly long ball into the box from set pieces. But they really did not. They really did not. In spite of Giroud being out, I feel they should have been able to take that advantage, but they did not. All right. Uh, I know that we have given Deschamps a lot of credit with his substitution. I don't want to just give the knock to Scalodi also. Uh, in the extra time, it felt like the momentum was swinging towards France. It looked going into extra time that it was France that was going to take up the game. And Scaloni made two very telling substitutions, even though he went under the radar, but he gave Argentina energy in the extra time. Bringing on Lautaro uh, Martinez for Rodrigo De Paul and Julian Alvarez, I felt, even though he didn't really change tactically, but he brought energy into the midfield. He brought energy into the final third. And Argentina created a couple of chances. Uh, Lotaro, for me, was very wasteful. If I was already thinking that if Argentina ended up losing, he would get the Gonzalo Higuain treatment for this World Cup for not letting Lionel Messi win. I mean, you know what, how fans usually describe that. But then, all this led into Lionel Messi's goal in the extra time. It's about the easiest goal he would and to be the most important of his over 700 goals. Again, I'll go back to what I had asked you earlier. At that point in time, did you think that France had it in them to be able to come back or you just felt, okay, so this is written in the stars, it is destiny, Lionel Messi to score the final goal and that was it? Um, to be very honest, when the goal came in, because I was surprised supporting France, I was um, quite disappointed, you know. I was a bit disappointed that that goal went in. But at that point, you know, France had picked up their momentum. And yeah. it was already a chaotic game. And up to that moment, France was the team that was on top. So there was no, it was not a surprise for me that um, France scored a third goal and an equalizer. Yeah, when the goal did go in, I thought, okay, is this the end? But then I understood 
very, very much that for most part of the time between 70th minute and the end of the match, it was France that had the momentum. I also still felt, look, they had the Mbappe factor and people were getting tired. So I believed that France will still be able to score, even though the, I think the time was about eight to 10 minutes to the end of the match. I still believe that um, France could score. But to be very honest, eh, as, just after the goal, within the first three to four minutes after the goal, France looked a bit lost. They looked a bit jaded immediately after the goal. But I did believe, I did think that it is possible because it was already a chaotic match. Anybody could have scored. Argentina could have, it could have been 4-2 at that point. It could have been 3-3 at that point. But it was already a chaotic match. But I mean, I, I did not rule out the fact that there could still be a goal in the match. Although I saw that Argentina was trying as much as possible to keep the ball. But I didn't think it was a good idea because the time between that time Messi scored the... Argentina's third goal and the final whistle was still quite a number of times. Was still quite sorry, I, I mean, was still quite a lot of time, about eight to ten minutes. And I believe that France will still come to their own. And at that point, still, even though Argentina made those two substitutions, and you see that I wrote in the group that those were two good substitutions. Even though they made the good substitutions, you could still see that their team was a bit lethargic and. Um, France still looked more physically fit, even within the last 10, 10, 10 minutes of the game. So I didn't give up. I didn't I didn't give up on France scoring the third goal, although I did not expect it to come from the penalty. And I did think, and I wrote to even a couple of my friends that Mbappe is going to get a hat trick in this match. I didn't think it was going to come from a penalty. So France were just fortunate that um, yeah, it was, it was the penalty in the end. Yeah, I did find it very surprising that France was more physically fit because I thought that the game that Argentina played today uh, was always going to tell on them physically. Uh, they covered a whole lot of ground. I'm still interested to see the number of kilometers they covered against France, especially in that first 60, 65 minutes. They covered a whole lot of ground. They ran their socks out. So I can understand if they become uh, very tired. But speaking of exhaustion, uh, I mean, I saw Rafael Varane and Varane kicked the ball out and you could see that he was super exhausted. That just tells you how much this game has been physically and emotionally. It was a very super exciting football game. I love football. I have, I mean, all my life, uh, if you know me, you know that it's been somehow revolved around football. My thinking, everything I do is revolved around football. And today I say it again that I am glad that of all the hobbies that are in this world, of all the things everybody can choose to love in this world, I am so glad that I fell in love with football. Now, Qatar 2022 particularly has been very exciting against all odds. Uh, the football quality of the game has been very good, in my opinion. Uh, the level of excitement has been over the roof. Um, in footballing terms or in World Cup terms, where does Qatar 2022 rank for you? Well, I, 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 honestly, I think it's a great walker. Probably, I still hold uh, US ninety four in high um, regards. Probably because it was the first walker that I've watched. But I mean, the hosting has been impeccable. I mean, there were controversies at the beginning of the walker. But to be very honest, in terms of the football that was played on the field, um, there was a level playing up ground this 
time because you see the big countries also had kind of fallen and the gap between the big countries and the small countries have kind of closed in terms of talent. I mean, this World Cup. So he made it a bit tougher and a bit even more interesting. I think this is one of the best World Cup I have seen in terms of hosting. I mean, I'll give, I give credit to Qatar for hosting a very beautiful World Cup. There has been a lot of off the media, I mean, a lot of um, off, off the field discussion about Islamophobia, how um, LGBT and all of that. But the football has been great. The hosting has been great. It has been fantastic. All of those other topics are topics that are outside football. When we focus on football, I think this is one of the best World Cup in terms of hosting. I mean, I have also watched football from USA 94 till today. And I used to say, oh, France 98 was my best. No, but I think this is heads and shoulders above it. Not even with the kind of final that we ended with. The quality I, I, of would, the game. I would disagree with you in terms of quality of football because I think France 98, France 98 in terms of quality of football, there are no, a higher number of high quality, higher quality matches. You get me? Uh, well, but, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. I think there is a more level playing ground here this time, which is the difference between here and France 98. The gap between the top in, and the low in France 98 was quite higher. But the gap is yeah. a bit lower in this, in this um, World Cup. But in terms of number of quality matches, I mean, remember... Argentina against Poland. Uh, no, I, I, I do remember. I do remember. Yeah. And that is why before now, I would say that it was uh, my... I, I, I love the level of quality of this um, of this World Cup. Again, probably because the way you captured it, the, the gap between those teams, the gap between virtually all the teams is usually is thinner now than it used to be then. But yes. I enjoyed the game. I saw a whole lot of games that I thought were, it may not have been the best football matches. It may not have been like the final that we saw. But these are games that, okay, they looked very good games until the end of it. Like, I watched football games and at the end of it I felt like, oh, I just got 90 minutes of very good value. And if you in, ask me, I think this World Cup has given me much more games than any other competition that I in, have in ever France 98, In France 98, there were many finals before the finals. That's, that's how I would just put it. You know, the, what, we saw, what we saw between 70th minute of today's game and the end, we saw it in many games in France 98. Many well, I wouldn't games. want us to spend too much time on that. Uh, I, I would go with... This World Cup, for me, I will go with this World Cup, probably because it's fresh in my memory, probably because I took all my time out to watch it. I saw a whole lot of games and I saw that, again, it may probably be that the, the quality level between all the teams is not that wide. But then the, the, the intensity, the excitement of the game, I, I, I had a very fantastic tournament. And I think I would like run. to point something out to you before we leave this topic. I would like to point out something. Whoever would have won this World Cup did not really play many top oppositions. And that's why I keep referring to USA 94 and France 98. Well, when you yes. speak of top oppositions, while, you can only play I, what is in front of you. In front of you. While I agree with you, you understand that you only play what is in front of you. I would say the number of big-time clashes, the, techni the technical quality level of big-time clashes in France 98 was a bit higher. Yeah, but what, what I enjoyed most is what we have repeated over and over in this uh, conversation that 
um, the level of quality between top teams and low, what used to be the, the, the lower teams, has not, the gap has now been, been closed. Because look at this Argentina team, to be honest. Take Messi out. And really, the technical quality is not so, so fantastic. Yeah, the technical, quality, the technical quality may not have been fantastic when you look at the players individually. But as a team, as a team, this is a very good team. You would agree? Well, I, I do agree that it's a very good team. But look back to the um, Dutch team that played in France 98. Okay. The Brazil so let, let team. Let me take you back. The Yugoslavia, let me take you back the Yugoslavia let me team. Take you back the Wait, let me finish. The Croatian okay. team that played in France 98. France themselves, even Nigeria, Super Eagles, look at Denmark, you know, there were a lot, a lot more teams had more quality individually and as a team than uh, well, in I, this competition. I, no, I, do, I don't quite agree with that because I could also continue to mention com countries. But the point I want to make out is when we speak about you can only play what is in front of you. It is not France or Argentina's fault that Portugal fell on the wayside. It's not their fault that Belgium did not uh, meet up to the billing. Let, let me remind you what, who the teams that France played en route to winning the World Cup. France had their group stage. I think they played Saudi Arabia in the group stage. They played yes. uh, South Africa in the group stage. South Africa. Paraguay in the quarterfinal. They played that Italy Paraguay this... game. That Paraguay game, BG, if you go and rewatch that match, could go for any World Cup final in the world, to be very honest. And after no, it that, wouldn't. no, it rewatch... wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. It would. Because that it game would. was a one way traffic. It was, a one... it, was, it was as good as telling me today that if you had watched France, um, sorry, Spain versus Morocco, you would have been any final in the world. That is exactly Paraguay. what happened. One way traffic. It was one way traffic. It was also Chilavert. I will tell you, I will tell you that if today France had played the first 70 minutes the way Chilavert and Co played the first 70 minutes against France, they probably would have won in this game. I could tell well, you. We, we, we could continue to drag this forever. First of all, my own best game that I have ever seen is this World Cup 2022. We can continue to debate if the level of quality is equal to France 98 or not. But one thing I have learned from international football is this. You can only play what is in front of you. The fact that we did not see France play against Belgium, we did not see Portugal and Spain hit heads on, still does not take anything away from the competition. The Japan that we had in this competition, can you compare it to the Japan or even the Saudi Arabia that we had? Can you compare with the Saudi Arabia that we had in France 98? Super Eagles may, may not have been here, but that France 98 of Super Eagles, Morocco plays better than them as at today. So if we if we decide to match it out, if we decide to match it out again, at the end of the day, it will fall to individual preference. At the end of the day, that's why I don't want us to waste too much time on it. No, I, I, I really to wrap this up. To wrap this up, honestly, I really do not um, agree with you. And the reason I do not agree with you is that we are comparing two World Cups. So while I agree with you that you can only play the team that is directly in front of you. We are looking at overall quality. Yes. So you're gonna be talking yes. about you're gonna be talking about level of comparison of match against match for each World Cup. And I thought that I saw all the front all the matches that Croatia played in front 98. A lot of them were high profile. I saw the matches that England played, even against like teams like Romania and all. Look, there were more high profile matches. There were more stars in terms of name-by-name name basis per country. And the matches on an individual basis were tougher. 
you get. So well, it is we, what it is. While I agree that, while I agree that you can only play who is in front of you, you cannot compare the matches. You understand? The, you, you, you have to look at level of quality when it comes to match per match. And I think that is what stands France 98 out. While I agree that this was a World Cup of a high quality as well, I do think that in terms of match by match quality for over how many matches, maybe 60 something matches, match by match, I felt there were more tougher matches in France 98. There were more high quality matches in France 98. There were more technical quality in terms of each game. You saw that even before I started talking, I thought the first match of high technical quality that I saw, you saw that I wrote that on the group. And I think it was Brazil against... Was it Brazil you, you against Croatia? No, I think it was Brazil against France. Uh, it was France against England. But again, you need to understand yeah, that. You need to understand that football has changed. Football has changed in terms of technique, generally. Football in 98 used to be a whole lot of individual. Argentina would go into a competition. They have fantastic players. And then you're still looking at, oh, Ariel Ortega. You get But you have a Morocco today... You, as, as fantastic as Croatia has been at this World Cup, they have individual exciting players, but then they are better when it comes as a group. And that is the same thing that works for Argentina. Football has changed. It is not, it is not accurate for you to say, okay, because France 98 had oh, Ronaldo de Lima and then you point the individual names. It does not make it a much better World Cup than what no, we no, have no, right now. No, no, no. That is not the reason. I no, you mentioned earlier, about... you said, you said no, name no. by name. I mentioned three, four things, but you only picked one. No, because match you did not let match, me conclude. Because match, I was speaking and you did not let me land before you cut in. That's why okay, I only spoke about okay. one thing. My, before my, you my final conclusion, my own final speech on this first 98 thing was that yep. when I look at it, in one match by one match, if you are going to say there are 63 matches and high-profile matches, you probably yes. have, you will have a higher percentage of those in front 98 compared again, to again, 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 it becomes subjective. That's what I'm saying. When you say in terms of quality, it becomes subjective. Because, for instance, if a, a very good game of France 98 uh, was probably Germany versus Croatia, right? Croatia won 3-0 in the quarterfinal. It was a very good game. But again, I can tell you that I also saw um, Brazil versus Croatia, for instance, in the World Cup quarterfinal in 2022. And I think Brazil versus Croatia is a better game than Germany versus uh, of France 98. It does not mean, it does not make it right. And it does not mean that you have to agree with me. So there were many the day, of those matches. That's my point. My point day, is Bicky, that, my point is that there were many of those matches yeah, that you would leave and there were many matches in France 98 there were that, were like, that were yeah. like... No, 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 no. no. looked like they were dead against Argentina. And they came back. That was very it wasn't, exciting. It wasn't, it wasn't just a matter of looking dead and coming back. It is a matter of the number of matches that put you on the edge of your feet. You understand? With you going into the game, with you going into the game and not thinking that anybody was favorites. Putting you at the edge of your seat is subjective. What may have excited you to put you at the edge of your seat does not mean that it really puts me at the edge of my seat, you know? Then, I saw then, Argentina... then, then what, what, what we are talking about then is that everything is now a matter of opinion. You get, exactly, you get my point. which is what Every, I said in the beginning, that for me, my, 
no, no. It's wait, wait, wait. What we started this conversation by me saying for me. This is the best I have seen. And you said you disagreed. And I was, I'm trying to tell you that it's a matter of opinion. That's the same thing I have been saying all the while. Well, at the end, okay, of, the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not as clear as, oh, did Argentina win the World Cup? Yes. No, it's not as clear as that. It's as, it's, it's as shady as, what do you think? And what do I think? I watched, I watched the first group. Some of, I, I missed quite a number of matches, though, in the, first, in the group phase. But you see, the difference, right, is that France 98 from the first match, you understand? I didn't, even Carlo Ancelotti wrote it in, uh, you know, he was writing memoirs about this World Cup. Carlo Ancelotti even wrote it in this World Cup that, look, the first round of this World Cup was more or less like, okay, you just want to let some people go home. I tell you, when you go and watch France 98, you are going to see a lot of matches yeah. that look like this. The second round, the quarterfinal we have seen in this World Cup. If we, sit, first, down, if we sit down and dissect the France 98 also, there are games in the first group stage that would have slept off while They were watching. fewer, and that's the point we are making here. They were fewer. Yes, they Wait, were, no, obviously. I, I, I think, I think in, this, in, this, in this group stage World Cup, aside from the third games where the teams have qualified... Believe me, at times from the first third games where the teams have qualified, if we sit down to pick the first two games of the uh, first two games of every team in this World Cup, and that is about how do I, is it that's 16 games, there's a possibility that you would admit that 80 to 85 percent of those games were exciting. Check out well, Spain story the, seven. The question is not about whether they were exciting. It was it's a matter of comparison. Yes, we can conclude that they were exciting. The question is we are having here is a matter of comparison. But I think we should move on from this topic, right? So that well, I mean, the beauty, time, so that yes, the beauty of it all is we're wrapping up actually. So um, let me seize this opportunity to just say if you want to be part of this conversation, if you really want to share your opinion also while you're listening to us right now, uh, please reach out. Uh, we'll be happy to have more people here so that at least we'll have divergent opinions and then we'll continue to discuss and argue about it. But then just to wrap up this episode, um, is Lionel Messi the GOAT now? Well, to me, no. And it is very simple. I feel what has happened today is Lionel Messi maybe getting one against Cristiano Ronaldo. But do you want to argue that a guy that won one World Cup is better than a guy that won three World Cup? Or he's better than Maradona simply because he's World, World, World Cup today? So for me, okay. I do not... Oh, okay. I, I thought you were asking me a already... question. Yeah. I thought you were asking me a question. That do I want to? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, it was a rhetoric, but I mean, if okay, you feel like okay. the question, you can go on. Oh, no, the, you see, the thing for me is when it comes to God's conversation, and I have always said this over and over, again, it comes to a matter of opinion. Now, and I will use Ronaldo and Messi to always state my opinion on this. It's a different thing if we say, let's talk about players of this generation and talk about who is the best of this generation, who is the best of this generation. Because someday, 20 years time, one boy is going to pull up YouTube, is going to pull up Wikipedia, is going to check Ronaldo de Lima, is going to check Giroud, and the boy will argue that Giroud is a better striker than Ronaldo de Lima because of all those fantastic highlights that Giroud has and also all the laurels that he won. Now, so that, what I'm trying to say is let's look at it and we will not be able to compare what is happening today to what is happening, what has happened in the past. I don't think there is any footballer that can be ascribed as the GOATs. My point is, every individual fan has what is called my goats. You have your goats, I have my goats. Coming into the World Cup, I mean, for me, for instance, if you ask me, my, my best player of this generation is Cristiano Ronaldo. 
coming into this World Cup, it was clear to me that whatever may have happened, even if Portugal were knocked out in the first round, it was never going to change anything. And I have a friend that is always on my neck whenever Messi does anything. And I tell him, I love Ronaldo does not necessarily mean that I hate Messi. You are the one that is taking it as you have to love one or the other. I love Cristiano Ronaldo unapologetically. Whatever Ronaldo does at 37 or 38 years old does not change what I have seen for 15 years. And what I told him today is, if it takes you one match to tell me that, oh, it is settled, or you take me one match for you to say it to me that, oh, Messi is clear goods now, then it's clear that you don't understand this conversation. Because you see, when it comes about goods, we'll have our individual preferences. There are different things we like in the game. And my greatest of all time may not necessarily be your greatest of all time. What I just want to point out is there is nobody that is the greatest of all time because there is nobody that everybody will come to agree is the greatest of all time. Winning the World Cup is just another point for Messi FC to banter Roro FC, in my opinion. It does not change how fantastic and how great Lionel Messi or his career has been. Of course, I mean, I agree with you. You understand. But you see, this whole conversation is more or less about Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi than who is the greatest ever. If you, if you, I mean, if you, if you look at it very well, it's more about Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. It's probably even to extend it a bit wider. It's more about Barcelona FC and FC Real Madrid, particularly the classical um, rivalry. Most of the other neutrals will probably be like, oh, okay, it's 50-50. That they probably wouldn't even care. And maybe a lot of even the neutrals will probably even overlook both when we come about when we come to speak about yeah. the test of all time. But you see, yes, while I agree, because you see, there's no parameter that has been set from the beginning to say, okay, if you've done this, then you are the greatest of all time, or if you've done yeah. that. But you yeah. see, we always deduce these things or we always try to argue these things based on things that have happened over their career. And like you said, generations will always be different from generations. I never watched Pele play. I watched Maradona. Yeah. Outside winning anything, I always, you know, you it's easy to ascribe what a team wins to a player. You get like, oh, yeah. uh, Pele won three World Cups. Um, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo won so many Champions League. And all of that, but winning a title is always a team game, never a player game. You understand my point? Yeah. So, and for me, I always put Ronaldo, even though I I, I respect uh, Pele, because the reason and the reason being that Pele is the only common denominator between three World Cup wins, and you cannot just brush that aside. You get if you say winning a World Cup, if we if we are going to uh, agree. On the criteria, and we say winning the World Cup makes you a greatest of all time. Then why should we not say the guy that won it three times is the greatest of all time? That's the question. But for me personally, I admire Diego Maradona for one thing. He's a one-man riot squad. He doesn't need a penalty. He doesn't need is for me over time, not just because of what he did in Argentina, which World Cup yeah. could just be games, but because whenever Maradona steps into a team of like Napoli, for instance, a team that was yep. in real, yep. you could always see that the level of excellence, and he always drags that team to a yep. level that competes with the best teams in the world. Yeah, and that's why, that. for me, that's why for me, from time, I've always said Lionel Messi and, and uh, Ronaldo are not even in yep. the greatest of, and Cristiano Ronaldo are not even in the greatest of all time debate. But you know, 
like you like Mar like you love um, Cristiano Ronaldo. I also like Mar uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and I always want to get one against my Barcelona rival. So I yeah. would always defend Cristiano Ronaldo, no matter what happens. But I never considered any of those two, and I've written it on soccer court a lot a lot of times that those two are not even in the debate. But before you even get into the debate, you understand. At least try and win the World Cup. Try and inspire. Um, a World Cup win. Lionel Messi won one today, and I won't lie. I mean, he's he's gotten one over Cristiano Ronaldo today. Just be, the same way I would have said, I I said Cristiano got one over him when Ronaldo in 2016 won the Euro um, Championship. So I mean, yep. for Banta's sake, for Banta's sake, yeah, Barcelona yeah. fans will probably have one over. Cristiano Ronaldo fans today, or rather Messi fans will always have one over Cristiano Ronaldo fans oh, today. Fans. Yeah, if you yeah. ask me, if you ask me, and this is a very honest question and has nothing to do with affiliations, in a very deadly match, and I have one minute to go, and I have a guy in a sport that will score my goal, and I have a choice of to decide whether it's Ronaldo or Messi that will be on that sport. I tell you, if I have to pick a guy that will make a difference, I would pick Cristiano Ronaldo. And I used to believe that Messi was by far better than him until 2014 when he scored those four goals against Sweden going into the World Cup. From then on, Ronaldo turned my head, changed everything. And I don't even, I don't really see how Messi has, a, has a won over him on individual to individual basis. But yes, he's won the World Cup. And you know, you have to just be happy for him. He's had a great career. He deserves it. It's a very good okay. one. I don't think this is the best Argentina I have seen. But, I mean, I'm happy for Lionel Messi. It's a good cap to his career. I mean, it would, it would be great for one of them to win it. I would have loved Ronaldo to win it. But when it, Messi did this time. So, congratulations, Lionel Messi. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we just had a podcast that is befitting of the World Cup final. Uh, we'll be back shortly again talking about club football the next time you hear from us and of course we'll always continue to make reference to the world cup we'll still talk a whole lot about france 98 um thank you so much for spending time with us we'll be back to you again